I can remember as a kid going into a room, especially a room that was unfamiliar, but virtually any room where there were people and thinking, I wanted to know who was in charge, right? If there were questions, I wanted to know who to ask. If there was going to be some instruction on what we were supposed to do, I wanted to know who was going to give that instruction. If we had a problem, I wanted to know who to go to. I wanted to know who was in authority in that room. Somehow that put me at ease. Now, if you have a background in psychology, do not tell me what that says about who I am, okay? Because I'm afraid to know the answer to that. But I think some of us are just that way, right? We want to know who's in charge. Right? If we're going we're gonna to be there, we want to know who we're supposed to follow. And you know, I think there's a little bit of just human nature involved in that. I think we do sort of have questions about authority. And that's even true in the church. If we look back in church history, man, we got a lot of people who take titles, a lot of people who believe they're in charge, a lot of people who believe they're in charge, but they aren't. And people asking and trying to decide who they're going to follow has been a big part of church history. It goes all the way back to Jesus. As a matter of fact, if we read through the Gospels, we see the disciples asking who's in charge. We see the disciples asking, who's going to be in charge when Jesus is not with them? That's a big question. And we have people around Jesus questioning his authority, whether he really is the one, he does have the authority that he says he has. And so today, I want us to think about that. Think a little bit about the authority of Jesus as we continue the study through the Gospel of Mark that we're calling Christianity Explored. And, and we're really just reading through this Gospel. If you don't have one of these little red books, there's plenty in the back. It's just the Gospel of Mark. And I encourage you to take one, read through it, write in it, highlight, write, draw, whatever will help you concentrate and hear this story in a new way. And as it was announced, we'll have Bible study again this Wednesday, 6.30 in this room, and sort of look through some more of the details of this story of the Gospel of Mark and help you see the picture of Jesus that Mark is trying to show us. Now, today as we come to our story, we're in chapters 11 and 12. We're past the middle of Mark, and we've talked about the fact that the first half of Mark, Mark is really painting this picture. He shows us what Jesus said and did in Galilee, in the north of what we call Israel, where his ministry is focused. This really is the first three years of Jesus' ministry. He's preaching and teaching, and Mark is attempting to communicate to us, to convince us, really, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And so we talked about at the end of that first section, we have the question of, is Jesus the Messiah? That, that comes up and it's dealt with. And Mark has been leading us down that path. Now, as we turn to the second half of the Gospel of Mark, what we see is not so much of that emphasis on Galilee and Jesus' ministry. We see Jesus turn and he is facing Jerusalem. So he's going south. And what's in Jerusalem? Trial and death and burial, and resurrection. That's the rest of the story. And it's really focused in on a short amount of time that leads us to Jerusalem and Jesus' trial, death, burial, resurrection. So we've got all that coming up. As we come into Jerusalem, though, man, the questions really do begin to come about who Jesus is and whether Jesus is really the person that he says he is. Remember how that week begins, right? 
Beginning of, John, of Mark chapter 11, we have Jesus coming into Jerusalem. He has walked from Galilee to Jerusalem. He comes in and what do people start doing? They get a colt. They put their coats on that colt so Jesus can ride on that. And then in the road before Jesus where the colt is walking, they spread their cloaks there. They spread palm branches. We call it Palm Sunday because of all that. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. We call it the triumphal entry, don't we? Why do we call it that? Because Jesus has entered Jerusalem as a king, as the Messiah, as the one that God had chosen to change everything. And we can imagine the power structure in Jerusalem. Seeing that, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? Who gave him the authority to do this? Who decided that he's going to be the next king? What's so special about Jesus the Nazarene? Those questions were coming up. But remember that he comes in as a king. And in fact, the people say this in Mark chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. Those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Who's David, the greatest king they ever knew? The father of the Messiah. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus comes as king. Jesus went out of the city on that Sunday evening and he came back on Monday and he went to the temple. Well, that's not surprising. That's what most Jews would have done. That's where everyone gathered. That's where you, you did some business and, and that's where you worshipped and that's where you taught and you heard teaching. All that was going on in the temple courts. But Jesus entered the temple and you re may remember what He saw. He saw money changers there. He saw people buying and selling. And, and Jesus was angered over that. It upset Jesus. And He starts sort of overthrowing everything. Turning those tables over. What's Jesus doing? He's really... He's really condemning the whole temple system. It's about money changing in the temple, but, but it's about more than that. The temple was the intersection of heaven and earth. It was where those two met. It's where God was enthroned in the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. And Jesus is saying things are changing. Now who's the who is the intersection of heaven and earth. Not what is the intersection of heaven and earth. It's Jesus. And the church will be the intersection of heaven and earth because the Spirit of God is going to be on the people of God. Jesus is saying everything is changing. And again, the people in charge see this. The priests were there. The people of authority were there. They saw it all. And what do they think about this Jesus who walks in the temple like he owns the place? Which he did, right? And turned tables over. Condemning people. Really condemning the whole system. So a little later, we pick up this story in Mark chapter 11, verse 27. And they, Jesus and his disciples, came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, he came back, surprisingly enough, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? 
Or who gave you this authority to do them? Oh, it comes back to who's in charge, right? Who do you think you are? You think God pointed you to do all this? We need to note who was there, right? The chief priests were there. They were the ones who had a real vested interest in maintaining the status quo. They had the position. They had wealth. In some ways, they were colluding with Rome. Rome kept them in power, and they sort of kept the people calm. Okay? They liked everything the way it was. They were in charge in the temple and in Jerusalem. And then we have the scribes. These are the experts in the law. Some of them were Pharisees, some of them not. But they had influence over people as teachers, taking care of the law and passing it on down. And then we have the elders who were non-priestly sort of aristocrats. Again, all these people have a vested interest in keeping things just the way they are because they have the power, the prestige, and the money. And Jesus is challenging all of that. So who do you think you are, Jesus? Who gave you the authority to march into Jerusalem as a king? Who gave you the authority to come into the temple and decide you're going to run it the way you're going to run it? Where'd you get this position you think you have? It's a question. A question Jesus responds to with another question. And in some ways, that seems a little strange to us. That's not normally the way we deal with it. We just expect an answer. But it was pretty common to say, okay, I'll answer your question if you'll answer my question. That was a common way of arguing in the ancient world. And that's just what Jesus does. And so he poses this question in verse 30. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. Well, that seems like a strange question, doesn't it? I mean, John's been dead. They knew that. Jesus knew that. That was a long time ago. Jesus was baptized by John maybe three years ago. Why bring all that up right now? And, and Mark tells us, well, part of the reason is this. Because if they said, hey, yeah, it, the, the baptism of John, that was from God. Then all the people who were listening in on this conversation would have said, okay, John's baptism was all about repentance. Why? Why didn't you, as the leaders of the people of Israel, why didn't you repent and be baptized by John then? Why didn't you follow along? Well, they didn't have a good answer for that. And they could have said, well, no, it wasn't from God, but all the people saw John as a prophet, so then they get in trouble with the people, so they didn't have a great answer. So is Jesus just being clever here and making sure they can't give an answer so then he doesn't have to answer their question? Well, I think that's part of it. But I think there's more. We know that Jesus, we have this recorded in Mark, we talked about it, Jesus was baptized by John. And you remember what happened. The Spirit of God descended as a dove in that moment. And there was a voice from heaven that said, This is my beloved Son, listen to Him. Now, do you think the story of that moment got out among the people? My guess is, absolutely. My guess is that story was told and then retold over and over again. And when people talked about the baptism of John, the next thing they said was, you know what, the baptism of John, when people were being baptized, remember that Jesus came down? 
I mean, there was this voice that came from heaven that proclaimed him as, as the Son of God. Yeah, Jesus was trapping these religious leaders. But I think Jesus was also reminding them and the people around him about what God had said. And so when they hear Jesus' question, they're done. They're not going to answer his question, and so he's not going to answer their question. And so at one point, in one way, we sort of think, well, this story ends, and the question was, who gave you the authority to do this, Jesus? And, and he didn't answer. But then if you read the beginning of chapter 12, Jesus tells the story. This man built a vineyard, and he built all the buildings that were required for a vineyard, and he planted the, the grapes, and everything was going great, and he, he left this vineyard with some tenants, and he went to a distant land. And when the time came for the harvest, he sent his servant back to collect, to, to get the money, to get what he had earned off the vineyard. And the tenants who were there beat him up and sent him back. He said, I'm going to send another, and they kept doing this, and they just keep beating up these tenants these messengers from the owner. And finally he said, I'm going to send my son. And the tenants saw him, and they said, he's the heir. Let's just kill him. And they did, and they threw his body out of the vineyard. And what did the owner do? He said, I'm just going to go destroy them all. As Jesus told that story, it was so plain that the disciples didn't have to take Jesus to the side and say, hey, well, what, did, what did that mean? Everybody knew what Jesus was saying. These messengers sent back were the prophets of Israel that the people had persecuted and killed. And the son is Jesus. Who gave Jesus the authority to speak these words, to do these things? God. Because Jesus was God's Son. And so for us, as we think about how this story relates to us, the lesson, I think, for us is this. Jesus' identity gives him his authority. Jesus' identity gives him authority. It's because of who Jesus is. And you know, we've been thinking about that all the way through this series. Who is Jesus? Who really is Jesus? And, and we talk about his identity. And part of his identity is that he's the Messiah, the King. But part of his identity is that he is the Son of God. And with the, that title, with that position of being the Son of God, that gives Jesus authority like none other. And so he has the authority to question the power structures. Jesus has the authority to question the status quo. And we want to say, go for it, Jesus. Tell them how they ought to run the temple. Jesus, make sure they're doing this right. There's corruption. There's all kinds of stuff messed up in the temple. Jesus, fix it. But I'm not sure we're as excited about Jesus looking in on our lives And saying, and the system is corrupt. This is not the way it ought to be. But you see, Jesus' position 
Jesus' identity as the Son of God, gave him authority in that day to march into Jerusalem as a king, and authority in that day to walk into the temple and say, this is messed up. we got to fix it. And it gives him authority today to look in our lives and our churches and say, this needs to be fixed. This needs to change. This sin in your life has got to go. These messed up priorities in your life have got to be rearranged. This focus on yourself in your life and maybe even in your church has got to change. And you've got to focus in on God's call on your life. God's call to do His work. God's call to share His message. At any cost. Jesus has that kind of authority. He had it then, and He has it now. But it makes us so uncomfortable because, you know, we're a little bit like the chief priests. We have a vested interest in the status quo. Most of us have molded our lives around what we like. And so when Jesus comes in and says, you know what, the way you're living, that's not what I've called you to do. You need to live in this way. This needs to change the way you're spending your time or your money or using your talents or how you're attending to your family or not attending to your family, whether you're really exploring your faith and trying to grow in me, whether you're making me the priority, all those questions, all those things, they force us to change. And you know, our mission as a church and it's not to love ourselves and make ourselves super comfortable. It's to love God and love others. And we have to ask ourselves, and which one are we closer to? And that's uncomfortable. And yet, it's exactly what Jesus' position as the Son of God allows him to ask us. And so today... As you look in your life, what is Jesus questioning? What does the authority of Jesus allow him to say about where you are and how you're living and what you're doing? And what needs to change? Let's pray together. God, help us to see the authority of Jesus in our lives. So easy for us at times to want to be Lord of our own domain. We've confessed that Jesus is Lord. Help us to live up to that confession. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, maybe you're ready to make that confession. You believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's really about authority. If you're ready to place yourself under the authority of Jesus and repent of your sins and be baptized in Him, we'd love to talk with you about that and walk with you down that journey to see you become a follower of Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're ready to become a member of our church. You've done all those other things. We, we invite you to let us know. Come forward as we sing our invitation. Let's stand together.